Hey there, welcome to this excellent church. We believe the word of God is the charter of our lives and God's way to reshape values and reconcile men to himself. We hope this message brings edification, exhortation and comfort. Be blessed. Matthew chapter 5. True blessedness, hallelujah. Matthew chapter 5, we're on the fourth installment of this series. And I thank God for how the Lord has been ministering to us. Praise God. I remember once that um, someone was asking me that um, someone, someone brought out his statistics and said um, a certain percentage of pastors in America burn out after some time because they don't know what to preach anymore and everything. And, and I said, I, I, I thought about it then. I was like, then I was like, mm, really? Like, why don't you just keep preaching what the Bible is preaching? Like, you can't, at least if you get tired, just start doing exposition. Start from Matthew chapter 1. You understand? You know, and all that. And this, this series has given me a renewed confidence in the fact that <laughs> unless everybody in the church has been glorified, if everybody has glorified bodies in this church, we we'll always need to teach these things. It can never be exhausted. And I discovered that um, it's when you are teaching about things that are material, things that are carnal, that you can feel like as if you've said everything you want to see. So what you do is just keep teaching the same thing, changing the topic and just changing the arrangement and everything. When you're talking about, if you look at the Bible and you see the things that were important to Jesus, see the things that Jesus emphasized, it feels inexhaustible. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 5 from verse 1. Let's, let's um, I'll read. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Hallelujah. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's look at Luke chapter 6. Let me, let me confess something to you. So there's a way, all these beatitudes, there's a way they overlap. In the sense that the blessedness of each of these virtues that Jesus is emphasizing, there's a way that these virtues tend to overlap. So in a sense, it can almost be like as if you are saying some things you've said before and everything. And some of them even overlap more than each other. For example, blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They seem very similar. If you look at Luke chapter 6 from verse 20, um, Luke account, Luke's account of the Beatitudes, this is what he said. He said, looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Hallelujah. If you look at Luke's account, you can almost—it's almost like as if the difference between hunger and poverty um, are blurred. The blessing for those that are hungry and, and poor 
are almost like similar and everything. So uh, intuitively, I wanted to say maybe I should not cheat and everything. But I just had this instruction in my heart and by the time I finished, I just had this instruction in my heart and by the time I now sat down to do it, discovered that it would take a whole lot more than I thought. I thought it was going to be a repetition, but really, it is not. Hallelujah. Yes. Those that are blessed and poor in spirit, and blessed at the point in spirit, so those who are poor in spirit, like we said earlier, those who are hungry for God, who want to enjoy God and want to be satisfied by God, and God will fulfill their need. Hallelujah. But there's a specificity to blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's a specificity to it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Hallelujah. Now, let's start. Let's get into it. As a way of reminding you, and I'll not neglect to keep reminding you this, and even after this series, I'll keep reminding you, that God is the good. This is something that all the ancients of Christianity, they were all unanimous on. The moment you start reading any ancient theological book, anyone, just pick up anyone, there's something they consistently do. I don't think, maybe, maybe it's a result of the Platonism and Aristotle and all that, but I don't know, maybe that's the influence. I don't know why. I'll look into it. I'm not, I'm not an expert in all that. But there's one thing you'll find when you start reading, is that all of them keep saying something. God is the good. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Verse 16 says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heaven lights, heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruit of all he created. Hallelujah. Every good and perfect gift is from above. So there are certain goods in life. In this world, there are certain things that are goods. We call those goods blessings. But there is a division and multiplicity. There are many goods that come from God. Do you see that? That's why it says every good and perfect gift. So every good gift there tells us that there is a multiplicity to these goods. There are many goods, and all of us here can bear testimony to that. Is health not a good thing? Is um, being materially comfortable is not a good thing? Um, having a good marriage is not a good thing? Having kids that are well brought up and are not um, problematic or disobedient, is that not a good thing? Um, having good relationship with your family and all that, is that not a good thing? Um, doing something meaningful with your life, where people recognize the value of your work, whatever you are doing, people recognize the value of your work, is that not a good thing? Every good and perfect gift comes from above. In the old, they will say that promotion does not come from the north or from the east, it comes from where? Above. So every good and perfect gift comes from above. So God gives us good gifts. And indeed, I want to stress that just for a few moments that it's important for us to understand this. That as we're teaching this, I do not want us to, I don't want the effect because this is the nature of emphasis and it's the nature of most people's minds, right? the way we think nowadays, that people, people think that emphasis on something is the deletion of the other. People don't understand the importance of a hierarchy of values because you outline some things are more important than others and you say this is number one. What they are hearing is that after number one, there's nothing else. You tell people that you should have a right priority. You should have a right hierarchy of values. So itemize your life and say one, two, three, four, five. And what, the moment you say that, what people are saying is do only one, ignore two to five. Do you understand? 
You see that a lot. You see it a lot. We're having conversations about the emphasis on wanting to serve God. And you, say, you tell people that, I'm using all these real conversations that some of you might be aware of. Do you understand? That's why you can understand and make it real. All right? <laughs> We're having conversations and telling people that, see, the gospel did not promise to make anybody rich. The emphasis on it, on the, emphasis, the, the teaching of the gospel is that everybody is meant to pursue the plan of God for their lives. And in the pursuit of the plan of God for their lives, wherever God puts them, every man should be content with it. But what somebody is hearing is that you are saying that poverty is good and everybody should be poor. Obviously, part of the problem, part of the reason why the person is thinking like that because the person has um, a, 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 I don't use a word that makes people feel like I'm insulting them, but um, if each one's heart has been corrupted by greed or over-attachment to something, when you're telling the person, please slow down with this thing, what the person is hearing is, by taking it away from me. It's like a child. When you tell the child, like what happened yesterday, you tell the child, I want to go out. The child says, please, I want to go out. I'm bored, Daddy, I want to go out. I want to go out. I want to go out. You see, you will go out, but wait till later. What the child is hearing is, you're not going out again. And they will go into the same psychological panic and anxiety, as I see if you are telling them you're not going out again. What you said is, wait till later. I don't want to hear wait till later. I want to hear now. Right? Because there's a childish part of it. There's a, um, there's a childishness where the heart is not right. Such that when you're telling people what is important, people are hearing every other, you are saying every other thing is not important. Why did I go around to say all those things? What I'm trying to stress out is, indeed, there are goods. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Indeed, there are good gifts that God gives us. That's part of the reason why this conversation is very hard to have with people. If you look into the Bible, you will see, say, bless the, bless the Lord, uh, um, how did David put it now? He said, let's bless all the God, God for our daily benefits. Who renews our health like the eagles, our youth like the eagles? Who daily loads us with benefits? Who, who feeds us? Who protects us from enemies? So all these things are what? Goods. And that is the problem of the conversation. And this is the problem of humanity. And this is what I really want to warn you about. Indeed, all these things are goods. But Satan's plan is to make you replace a good with the good. Satan's plan is to make you replace a good with the good. The good, God, the good, God is the one from whom all blessings flow. We sing that song all the time. He's the one from whom all blessings flow. But if you want to take his blessings apart from the blessed one, if you want to take the blessings apart from the blessed one, you will end up in a corrupted state. And that's what I've been trying to emphasize to you in all the weeks that have gone past. If you try to take one of the blessings or any of the blessings apart from the blessed one, what you will find out is that the state you will land in will be more insufficient, will be more problematic than when you did not even have those blessings. God is the good. All the things that you desire in your life, all the... Um, sense of inadequacy and insufficiency that you have in your life, God is the one that is self-adequate. God is the one that is self-sufficient. So the real answer to what you need is God. Listen. Listen. I don't want you to suffer the chastisement of God before you learn something that you can be taught by the cleansing of the word. 
Don't wait until you get that dream job before you realize that that dream job was not the solution to your problems. Don't wait until you get into that marriage for you to realize that marriage is not the solution to your self-esteem issues. Don't wait until that jackpot or that visa comes before you recognize that traveling to Canada or the UK it was not the solution to the problems of your soul. God is the good. The goods cannot replace AM. The, the goods cannot replace the good. It cannot. The only solution to our sense of insufficiency, our needs, is the one that is the source from whom all blessings flow. That is the reason why a man that has God in Ajegunle, in Makoko, can be satisfied. And a man will be in Ikoyi, in his three, five, twenty bedroom mansion, and commit suicide. If the goods were the solution, if the blessings were the solution to our problem, then the richest countries in the world will have the lowest suicide rates. The countries that some of you people are running to now, they are literally euthanizing people the moment they feel like their life is not going the way they want. They are literally allowing people to, they are calling it medically assisted death. The moment the person is feeling sick, the person is sick, and the person is, the moment the person is sick, the person has an option to kill themselves. Go and check the suicide rates. Impossible. Brothers and sisters, I hear what I'm saying to you. If you miss anything in all the weeks of this series that we're going to learn, don't replace the goods with the good. The blessed one, the blessed one is the blessing. And once you have that person, you have all the blessings because it is from him that is the source of all blessings. Church, I get what I'm saying to you. Church, I was together. And that is the reason why today's lesson is particularly important. He says, blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness, for they will be filled. So we said that every blessed, um, everything, every state that orients you towards having the blessed one, towards having the good, is a blessed state. Hallelujah. Every state, every situation that you can be in that enables you to be oriented towards the blessed one, towards the one who is the blessing, towards God himself. That blessing, that state is a blessed state. And that's why we say that if you look through the Beatitudes, all the things that God calls blessed are not what human beings call blessed. What human beings call blessed are simply the goods. What God calls blessed is anything that orients you towards the good. Praise God. So while the world will say, blessed are those who are full of themselves and have all that they need. God will say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger. While the world will say, blessed are the rich. Blessed are those that everybody likes you. Blessed is the famous. Blessed are those that have plenty of followers. Jesus said, woe to you who are rich. Woe to you that are laughing now. Woe to you that everybody speaks well of you. While the world thinks, blessed are those that have many likes, those that have many retweets, those that have many reposts. Jesus is saying, ah, woe to you. While the world is saying, blessed are those who laugh, blessed are those who are having a nice time. Jesus is saying, blessed are those who mourn. 
While the world is saying, blessed are the big boys. Blessed are those who can say, do you know who I am? Jesus said, blessed are the meek. <laughs> Hallelujah. So today we're going to look at blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hallelujah. Why is this so? Let's begin to look at it. The reason is because if God is the good and everything that orients us towards him is a blessed state, that means that anything that comes between us and God is a what? Cursed state. Anything that comes between us and God is a cursed state. Any situation, any kind of delusion that makes us to not be oriented towards the one that is good, even if it is a good, if a blessing becomes the reason why you are no longer looking for God, that blessing has become a curse. That is the reason why a person's life can objectively get worse after they start making money. And so people that will tell you that, I wish I never got married, because after they got married, their lives became worse. Even if it is a blessing, if that blessing comes between you and the blessed one, that blessing is now a curse. And guess what? Sin is the OG divider between God and man. Sin is the division between God and man. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 1 says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. There's a way that they were living. There's a way that we used to live before we knew God. There was a sinful way that we used to live our lives. The Bible says that when we were living that lifestyle, we were dead. We followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following his desires and thoughts, like the rest we were by nature deserving of death. We had a nature in us. We had a nature in us called the flesh. And there was no spirit of God in us. We were dead. And so this nature had certain desires it had certain cravings. Look at the way it says, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. We had a nature. We had a nature. And that nature had certain cravings and desires. And we were constantly gratifying those cravings. And that lifestyle that we were living, um, Apostle Paul tells us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that we were dead when we were living that lifestyle. He says, but because of this great love for us, God who is rich in mercy has made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. Sin, our lifestyle of sin and transgressions made us cut us away from God, cut us off from God. We had a certain nature that had certain cravings and certain desires, and we were gratifying those desires and living our lives based on those desires. And those living that life made us enemies of God. He puts it well in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is poignant. Let's look at Romans chapter 8. Verse 5. There are a lot of verses on this. If, um, um, if it would be good for you to get the teaching on um, saints and sinners. It's a two-part teaching. Get it and it will help. It will instruct you more on all these things. Hallelujah. Saints and sinners. Praise God. So Romans chapter 8 from verse 5. Verse 5 says, Those who live according to the flesh 
have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Again, Ephesians chapter 2, reminiscent of Ephesians chapter 2. We had a certain nature and it has certain cravings. Um, and those cravings were fulfilling them. Now, he's now telling us that those who, who live in the flesh, that means that those that have a certain nature, um, that nature has its own desires. Those that have the Spirit, it has its own desires. Verse 6 now says, the mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. Do you see that? Hostile. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it. So it's not only that this nature that we had made us hostile to God, made us enemies of God, made us to turn our back on God. That, when, that is the reason why when you say certain things about God, it can get people angry. A carnal man, a man in the flesh, a man that is living the life of the, that the flesh fulfilling his cravings or desires, you say certain things about righteousness and sanctification, he gets angry. He's annoying. Because not only is he hostile to God, not only does he not submit to God, he can't even if he wanted to. He cannot submit to God. But it says those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So sin actually is the thing that makes us hostile to God, makes us an enemy of God. Church out together. But Jesus now says, blessed are the righteous. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It makes perfect sense because if sin is the thing that separates us from God, that means that those who are hungry and want to turn their back on sin and turn towards God and walk in righteousness, they are blessed. Church, out together. Do you understand what I just said now? If sin is the thing that separates us from God, if sin is the thing that makes us hostile to God, then that means that those who want to turn their back on their sin and want to turn towards God to live for him, that state is a blessed state. Because righteousness is to be realigned with God. Hallelujah. Look at James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Verse 4 says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That means blessed are those who want to turn their back on the world and turn towards God. Blessed are those who want to turn their back on the world and turn towards God. Hallelujah. So, righteousness is a blessed state. Righteousness is a blessed state. And thus, the hunger and thirst for righteousness is a blessed state. Look at where Paul put it again in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Verse 6 says, David says the same thing. David says the same thing. When he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from work, works. Righteousness is a blessed state. Verse 7 says, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for, or, or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited, credited to him as what? Righteousness. Righteousness is a blessed state. Hallelujah. 
And so when Jesus came, this is what he came to give us. He came to complete the work of righteousness. Again, I, I um, recommend you go and take the teaching on saints and sinners. Hallelujah. Jesus came, because I don't want to go to a lot of things. I don't want to repeat myself. A lot of, uh, so Jesus came to give us his righteousness. Four things that Jesus came to complete the work of righteousness in us. The first thing that he did was to regenerate us. Hallelujah. To change our hearts. So we had the nature of flesh that had only cravings that were evil. There was a corruption in the world, like we read in 2 Peter chapter 1 when we did our exposition last Wednesday, the Wednesday before last. There was a corruption in the world and its desires. We escaped it because we now partake of a divine nature. Hallelujah. Church, are we together? So he came and regenerated us and gave us a new heart. We're going to look at it very briefly. And then he justified us. This is the emphasis of this particular portion that we just read. God gave us an imputed righteousness, a legal status by which we are declared righteous. Hallelujah. But he didn't stop there. God now goes on to do something synergistically with us. The second thing that he was doing, that he is doing, is that he's sanctifying us and cleansing us. We're going to look at that also. He's sanctifying us and cleansing us. So not only did he give us a new heart and impute righteousness to us, our daily living, our daily living, because we're still living in a broken world and our bodies have not been, have not been glorified. So even though we have the nature of God, we still have the flesh. And that flesh can still manifest some desires. Church, out together. So that means that the Holy Spirit is helping us to put the flesh under so that we can live for God in this world. Praise God. And then, you know, finally, he's going to glorify us. So a time is coming when the recipe of that flesh that is a part of this world will be completely taken away from us. This world that we are living in, where there is sin around us, this world will also be taken away and will be in a new world where there will be no more sin and no more desire to sin. Hallelujah. Church, I want to get that. But I want to, you know, let's, let's start from the beginning. I really want to emphasize on something. That when Jesus came, righteousness is a blessed state. So Jesus came to complete the work, to deal with sin completely, so that all of us can be completely righteous with him. He, he has done some, he is doing some, and we will get the completion of it at our glorification. Hallelujah. So that is the reason why Christianity is not a past tense matter. It's not, I'm not sure it's not uncommon for you to have grown up, to have grown around, um, heard grown up hearing certain things. Like everything that Jesus has done is in the past. Jesus has done it all. And all those things, you know, this kind of things, that everything is that no, no. Jesus is still doing some things. And Jesus will still do some things. <laughs> hey, let's continue. You will see something. Hebrews chapter 8. This is how we know the true converts from the false converts. This is the way God is to catch them. Romans chapter eight, um, Hebrews chapter 8 from verse 7. Hebrews chapter 8 from verse 7. For, they, for if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another, but God found fault with the people and said, so the fault was with the people. The people are broken. The people are broken. They could not meet up with the law of God. He now says, the days are coming, declares the Lord. So since the people were broken, God was going to fix the people. Ah, Jesus fixed us. Hallelujah. You understand something now. So, verse 8, God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put their laws, my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be 
my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor to say to one another, know the Lord. That means no longer will they tell them, know the Lord. Desire to know the Lord. He wasn't talking about spelling out certain laws. He was telling them, no longer will someone tell them, know the Lord. He now says, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. So two things that you see happening here. He says, I will put my laws in their hearts. He says, I will write them on their hearts. I will put their laws, my laws in their minds and I will write, write them on their hearts. So every one of us, when Jesus saved us and we received the gospel and we put our faith and our trust in God, the first thing that he did was that he gave us a new heart. The kind of heart that he gave us is not a heart of flesh, a heart of stone, according to the old people, but rather he now gave us a new heart of flesh. This new heart of flesh has the laws of God written on it. Do you understand that? So that is the reason why all of us know God. And that's why we desire to want to know God. That's what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 8, that those that are governed by the Spirit, what do they want to do? They want to please God. Listen to me. It is because of the work that Jesus did in us when we got saved, changing our heart and writing our laws in our heart, that you notice that the things that you used to do before, now you are having a problem with them. Do you understand what I'm saying to you now? The evil, the transgressions, and the sins that you used to walk in before, when the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and God fulfills this, this promise that he made long ago, and he writes his laws on your heart, things that are contrary to that law begin to feel strange to you. The reason why you are feeling bad for doing evil is because you now have a nature that is at odds with the flesh. Just hang on, I'm saying to you. The people of the world can live sinfully and not care and not mind. Because you are a child of God, it will be a problem for you. Just hang on, I'm saying to you. So that now you want to live for God. Now you want to serve God. The spirit of God that is inside of you, the new nature that you have, constantly wants to please God. That even though the flesh is there, that is the reason why you now have that conflict. Church, I want together. Do you hear what I just said now? That is the reason why you now have this conflict. Because God has fixed your heart. So now your heart is tender towards God. Church, I want together. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says, So I say, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. You see that? Before, you did not have the Spirit. So you were just living in the flesh. So just like Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, it says we're just living in transgressions and sins, and we're dead in our sins. Before, you were just a dead man walking, a prisoner on death row, walking, cut off from God, and just living your life. You were an enemy of God. You were an enemy of God. Let me say this. Counseling someone who is um, reworking some of the things that he believes, I was saying something, he said, what he was taught, what he was taught was that, um, that Jesus, Jesus did not die to appease God. Jesus did not die to appease God because God is love and that it doesn't make sense. And the analogy that he said that he was taught was that why will God kidnap you, his child, and then ask for, pay for the ransom for, for himself from you? I was like, wow. Ah, this is wickedness. Because that kind of 
competence is too bad. That kind of incompetence is hardly God's word. It's too bad that it must be deliberate. No. <laughs> God did not kidnap you. You were not a child of God. You were a child of Satan. Did you hear what I just said? Did you hear what I said now? You were not a child of God. You were a child of Satan. You were an enemy of God, hostile to God. You were dead. You were a prisoner on death row. Are you know what I'm saying to you? God was meant to judge you for your evil because you are an evil doer. So God made a way to save you from the just judgments that you deserve. Do you understand what I'm saying to you now? You were supposed to die. You were supposed to collect because you were doing evil. Then God made a way to spare you from that judgment. That judgment is God's judgment. It's not Satan's judgment. Do you understand that? There's this image that we grew up with where they'll tell you that when you go to hell, that not you, Jesus' name, God forbid, but in hell. When people go to hell, there's this picture in their mind that when people go to hell, Satan and his demons will be dancing and be choking them. They'll be choking them. Say, yeah, I'm suffering, yeah. And Satan will be choking them. And as I know that all the people that went to hell and saw visions, all of them smoked something high. That made them high. They didn't see anything. Because consistently, all of them, I didn't know anyone that was different. All of them, what they all saw is that when you are in, when, when a person is, you've not been here, Jesus. When a person is in hellfire, See, the demons will be choking the person. The person will be shouting, yeah. And I say, this is the place for pastors that backslid. This is the place for prostitutes. This is the place. Do not mention some pastors that died. Listen to me. Listen. Hell is not a place where Satan will even have time to be tormenting somebody else. Because Satan himself will be collecting. People that go to hell will see Satan beside them crying. You don't understand? Them and Satan will line up together. And they'll be crying in torments together. Everybody will be suffering. Everybody will be collecting. There will be no time for you to look at another person to punish the person. Do you understand what I just said to you now? Go and read it. Hades, Satan, and, 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 and this will be cast into the lake of fire. Together with everyone that wants to w- w- go with them. Those that want to go with them. They will go. Church, I get what I'm saying to you. So, when we are telling you that God came to save you from his wrath, the wrath is not Satan's wrath, though, because Satan himself is collecting. Do you understand that? God, the just judge of the earth, is punishing evildoers because he's too holy to allow sin to go. Sin was the OG problem. Sin was the thing that made us separate from God because God is too holy. He can't behold iniquity. People don't understand that this is, a, this is a testament to the greatness and the magnificence of God. That God that is so holy made a way that sinful people can know him. There's nothing in existence, in the metaphysics of creation, there's nothing in existence that could be literally more impossible than that. Do you hear what I just said now? There's nothing that, if we're talking about how difficult something can be, there's nothing that will be more difficult than for a holy God to make a way that sinful people can become one with him. Nothing can be more difficult than that. If there's anything that is a miracle, that is a miracle. Church out together. So that is the reason why when a person begins to desire 
and say, God, I want to live righteously for you. I want to turn back from my sins. Ah, Jesus said that is blessed. When a man is hungry and thirsty for righteousness, that Lord, I want to live for you. God did not leave us alone because he knows that by ourselves we will never desire and thirst for righteousness. So God now started the work and gave us the capital. He gave us a regenerate heart. He gave us a new nature so that we can now desire for him. So Jesus now says that everybody that desires and says, Lord, I want to live for you. Lord, I want to be righteous is blessed. Oh, brothers and sisters, you hear what I'm saying to you? Every man that is truly hungry, every man that is truly hungry, Every man that is truly hungry, every woman, obviously, when I say man, I'm talking about humanity generally. Everyone that is truly hungry, that, Lord, I want to do the right thing. Lord, I want to live for you. Jesus said that man is blessed because they will be filled. That righteousness that you are hungry for, God will give you. Just like what I'm saying to you. So, the desire to want to please God, the desire to want to um, be one with God, the desire to want to live right for God is a blessed state. So, the desire to run away from everything that defiles, everything that wants to corrupt you, everything that wants to stop you from living for God is also a blessed desire. Hunger and thirst for righteousness is a hunger to run away from things that defile. Just again, what I'm saying to you. That's the reason why the Lord and the, the Bible consistently talk about there's a kind of almost desperation. There's a kind of... The Bible is very strict because Jesus said that blessed are those who are hungry to be righteous. There is a kind of strictness that the Lord and the apostles exemplify when it comes to matters of righteousness. As I was telling you guys some time ago, that sanctification is not just something we are doing and as, a, as an obligation. It's actually a fight for your soul. It's actually a fight for your soul. We look at some scriptures now, you'll see something. That there's a kind of strictness. I don't know the word to use. There's a way, it's almost ruthless. Let me use the word ruthless. There's a ruthlessness with which the apostles describe the way believers should treat any kind of thing that will corrupt them any kind of thing that will corrupt them. There's a ruthlessness about it. Oh, Jesus, help me. Praise God. Matthew chapter 18. Let's start from what the Lord said. Matthew chapter 18. If we go to verse 6, he says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it will be better for them to have a large milestone hung around their neck than to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That means that anybody that makes believers to stumble, say those that believe in me, anyone that makes believers to stumble in their faith, that is the reason why. Many times when you are correcting people, stop teaching this thing that is a stumbling block. Stop teaching this thing that is a stumbling block. You know Peter and Paul reiterated this thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He said anybody that destroys the temple of God, God will do what? Destroy him. He said no, he's not, he will not destroy him. He's saying that... <laughs> Jesus said it would be better for you that they should tie um, 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 Ilota. <laughs> That's the closest red derivative of it in, in my culture. Have you guys seen ancient Ilota before? People that not grow up in the village, have you used the hands of grand paper before? 
you don't know that uh, you do. <laughs> God, you people, these Lagos people, man, for you. They tie it on your neck. It says be better. That you should tie that kind of stone on your leg and drown the person. He says, woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come. But woe to the person through whom they come. That means it is true. When living in this broken world, funny ideas that can make people to stumble in their faith will come. <laughs> but if it is you that Satan uses, you are the one that will collect it. When you are warning people, stop teaching things that are making people to stumble. All these fake promises that everybody will be rich. You are making people to stumble. You are selling lies to people. People are hungry, are angry at something that God did not do. You are slandering the Lord your God. You are telling people that if you can have enough faith, God will give you everything that you want. God did not promise that. They look for it, they don't get it. They get angry and say, All of you are lying. <laughs> Milestone. It's for your sake. It's not because anybody wants to reduce your church. It is for your sake. Stop making people to stumble. Verse 8. He says, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed and crippled than to have two hands and two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. Anything that will make you stumble in your faith, it's better for you to cut that thing off and suffer pain. Because our eternal reward will make every pain we suffer in this world to be okay. But if you enter with largesse, you enter with your two hands and your two legs into hellfire. Hellfire will make all your enjoyment to become hell. i give you guys an example of that from that C.S. Lewis. Let me just say it again. It's like when you finally marry a good woman and people had broken your heart before. And because people had broken your heart before and you could not eat and you broke your door, you made certain vows to God and said, I will never enter a relationship at a certain time. That vow now helped you to meet the right woman. That heartbreak. All of a sudden, your wedding vows, you start saying, I thank God for all the heartbreaks. I thank God for everything that brought me to you. You know, if you have good relationships, good relationship, good relationship, and the relationship was perfect, and you guys now marry, and the marriage now turns out to be hell, what will you say about the good times? You say, I cursed the day that I met you. Hell will console you for all the things you suffered. I'm sorry. Heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I rebuke it in Jesus' name. <laughs> Heaven will console you for all the things you've what? Suffered. <laughs> Hell will punish you for all the things you've enjoyed. He says, verse 9 says, if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. This is the Lord speaking, no, it's not Paul. It's, it's like one heretic I heard during the week said, um, um, Jesus told him that Paul did not preach my message. Let's, let's move on from that. Let's just go on. Because I'm, I'm, I'm ready angry enough. And if your, eye, if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. If you go to verse 15, Jesus now said something. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go out and point at fault. Just between the two of you, if they listen, you have won them over. 
If they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established in testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen to even the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, these teachings were done in the same context, but you will not understand until I begin to read some New Testament scriptures for you to understand fully. Let's read them. 1 Corinthians 15. Just hold what Jesus said there with your left hand and you will be reading it with that filter or not what the apostles say. You now see what the apostles say. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Go back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant. I say this to your shame. So he said, don't be misled. Evil communication can corrupt good manners. That means that you can hang out with certain people. You can hang out with certain kinds of information that will make you stumble. Jesus began to tell us how we should treat such things and such situations. Now let's go on. Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16 verse 17. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. First of all, let me just quickly say this. There are people that divide the church are people that teach the wrong things, not those that are correcting what is evil. Those who are putting... Look at what Paul said. It. Let me read it again. He says, those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you have learned. So when Jesus talks about things, people that make people stumble, he says, people that are teaching things that are wrong, we have taught you something. Someone is coming to teach you something else. That thing is a stumbling block and that teaching is what is dividing you. So when people are coming to say, this um, doctrine is wrong or this evil is wrong, this is not what the apostles taught, the person that is correcting it is not dividing the body. If all of you are teaching something contrary to the apostles and you are Having an ecumenism on teaching something contrary to the apostles, you are not, you are not a body of Christ, though. That's not unity of the faith. That is unity of the hell. Look how Paul now says, verse 18. For such people are not serving our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. What I want you to be wise about what is good and be innocent about what is what? Evil. So, people that are teaching you strange things are the ones putting stumbling blocks before your way. Jesus said, anything that is a stumbling block, guard it out. Let's go on. And so, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, Paul now says, but now I'm writing to you, that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a, or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. We begin to get into brass tacks now. Paul says if you see somebody that is claiming to be a Christian, but the person is living like an unbeliever, the person is living like a regenerate, like an unregenerate, like a degenerate, Paul says, you shouldn't even eat with them. Let's go on. There's no time. 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 3. Verse 6 says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching that you receive from us. So we have taught you something. When someone is living outside of it and is claiming to be a brother or sister, 
Paul says, have nothing to do with them. He says, keep away from them. Go to verse 14. Verse 14 says, take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed, yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Hallelujah. So he's not talking about those who don't follow the instruction. He says, don't associate with them. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 5 says, we talked about all these evil people. Say they are browsed, they are without love, unforgiving, slanderous, treacherous, rash. Talked about all the evil things that they do. Verse 5 now says, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. People will think it's malice. Titus chapter 3. I'm showing you the abundance of scripture on this matter. That those that pursue righteousness, they cut off sources of evil. Titus chapter 3, verse 10. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them again a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. Second John, my personal favorite. Verse 10. If anyone comes to see you and does not bring this teaching... Do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. The apostles emphasize, beginning from the Lord to the apostles, they emphasize over and over and over and over and over. When someone is teaching something contrary to apostolic doctrine, when someone is living like an evil believer, like an evil doer, because evil communication corrupts what? You cannot hang out with people that are teaching nonsense. Or believe evil doctrines. Hallelujah. You cannot hang out with people that are teaching nonsense, that are putting stumbling blocks in the faith of people, divisive doctrines. You cannot hang out around sinful people living in transgression and you think that you are safe. You are not safe. Those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, the hunger and thirst for righteousness necessitates that they run away from things holding them back from righteousness. Church, I get what I'm saying to you. You cannot be hungry and thirsting for righteousness. And be hanging out around things that are killing your righteousness. So it's not malice. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. There is an evil ecumenism. That is this, this, there's an evil sense of solidarity that Satan wants people to have. When all of you are going to hell together, Satan wants you to have solidarity in going to hell. So people are arranged information going towards destruction. When the Lord wants to save them and somebody starts shouting and saying, the direction that we are going, we are going to be destroyed. It is the work of Satan to point out that person and say, you, you are causing division. Of course. Because that division is not unto the Lord. Church, I can have to you. If you are hanging out around, among people that are united in their bad behavior, living like transgressors, living like evildoers, Standing up and saying, this lifestyle you are living is not good. I can't continue this lifestyle. They will say, you are doing oversabi. That is what it's meant to be. This is true blessedness. To want to live for God. Brothers and sisters, are we together? Church, I get what I'm saying to you. Listen. 
Let me end on this note. Don't be deceived. There is a real danger for us to not pursue righteousness. There is a real danger. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. There is a real danger of not pursuing righteousness. There is a real danger to the soul of not pursuing righteousness. Over and over, the Lord and the apostles warn us that there is such a thing as being broken off. Let's hear what the Lord says. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Verse 5 says, I am divine and you are the branches. In fact, the first part, they said, people like to contain it and says, um, he shall cut, that he shall um, prune and all that, so it can be more fruit. Let's go to verse 5. Verse five. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire, and it is what? Burned. If you don't remain in me. Romans chapter 11. Verse 19 says, you will say then, branches were broken off so that I can be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fail, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be what? You see where Paul got it from? You see where Paul got it from? Hebrews chapter 6. Verse 4 says, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened. Emphasis on enlightened. Who have tasted the heavenly gifts, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, shared in the Holy Spirit. Emphasis. Who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. For their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Look at chapter 10. Says, it was said, that one said it's impossible to bring them back. Verse 26 says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. So if you continue sinning, the kind of fire that's going to consume God's enemies, that's why later in the chapter when he says our, Lord, our God is a consuming fire, he says he's consuming the law and the prophet. I hope you see what he's consuming now. I hope you see what he's consuming who is he consuming? Oh God. Who is he consuming? Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God of our foot? Who has treated it as a holy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified? That sanctified? Who has insulted the spirit of grace? For we know him who he said, It is mine to avenge, I will pray, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is, dreadful, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He now says, remember the earlier days when you had received the light. So the people he was talking to are people that had received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of what? Church, are we together? Why? Let's go to chapter 3. 
Hebrews chapter 3. There is a danger. There is a danger. And I will explain now. This is not to make you afraid of your salvation. That you don't feel like you're not afraid of your salvation. I will explain everything now. But there's a danger that the Lord and the apostles warn us of. That you must be aware of. This is the danger in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily. That's what I'm doing now. As long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's sinfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. There's something called the deceitfulness of sin. Sin will be deceiving you. You'll be living a sinful life. You say, I've been justified. You'll be thinking you're justified. And you're living a sinful life. That sin will be hardening you. Next thing, you will turn away from God. Now, let me say this for you to understand. Let me end on this note. I can't finish this message. Let me end on this note. Listen. Listen. There's a concept that St. Augustine talks about. He talks about the visible church and the invisible church. The visible church is what we can see. When you come to church, you get saved, we'll pray for you, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we baptize you, you do doctrines of his house, you become a worker in the church, right? If you do all those things, what do we call you? A child of God. Isn't it? Can anybody say you're not a child of God? So the visible church is the church that all of us can see. All of us can see people. But there's something called the invisible church. Hebrews 12 talks about it. That means the body of Christ that you cannot see, the real body of Christ that you cannot see. It includes all of us of all denominations. As long as we truly believe the gospel, even if you're not in another, you're in another denomination, you're still a child of God. It includes the spirit of just made perfect. The saints that have gone ahead of us that have died, they're part of the church. Church, are we together? You will see something in the New Testament. We've talked about this before, but let me just, it's very important. You see something in the New Testament. You see this kind of warnings. Warning about don't draw back. You can get hardened. You can be broken off. You can cut off. You must continue to the end. And then you see other verses that say God will keep you to the very end. God will hold you to the very end. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You see those kind of scriptures too. And then you'll be wondering that what is happening here? Why are you warning me that I can go to hell? And then telling me that don't worry, I will not allow you to go to hell. Let me tell you the difference. It depends on where we are talking from. It depends on where you are talking from. Listen to me. As I'm preaching now, I'm preaching to the physical church of Christ. I'm preaching to the visible church. We don't know who is saved and who is not really saved. Because a person can be a false convert and do doctrine of his house. Do you know that? A person can do doctrine of his house because they have, his friend came to church with him and they, and, they, and, they, and they said the prayer together. The person can be walking in church and think that he's a Christian. No, he does not even think. He may in his heart be deceiving himself because he thinks that it's about activity. But he does not believe what the gospel says. But there are some people that are God's children. God will hold them till the end. God will keep them and they will not fall. Do you know how we know the difference between the two? It's what I told you guys in 2 Peter. Let's open it. Let's just end it. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 8 says, if you, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their sins, from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Do you know the difference between the true convert and the false convert? The true convert will confirm their election. They will show in their life that truly they believe the gospel. If you believe the gospel, if it is true that the Holy Spirit has changed your heart, one of the things that we will see, not one of the things, the thing that we will see is that just like James tells us in James chapter 2, that faith without work is what? Dead. Such people will not have a dead faith. They will continue to the end. That faith that they have will be demonstrated to the end. And as God is willing, working in us, both to win and to do of his good pleasure, God will also keep those people in faith. That's why you see all the scriptures where God says, I will keep you. There's no one where God says, I will keep you in your lawlessness. It is, I will keep you in your hunger and thirst for righteousness. You will live for me till the end. You will hold your convictions till the end. You will live for God till the end. So that is the reason why we're talking to people physically. Because I cannot tell you this person is saved or this person is not saved. When the person turns back, the person gets a job. The first month, we don't see him in church again. Second month, we don't see the person in church again. After the six months, you start hearing all these pastors, their wala is too much. After one year, you start seeing all of us are worshiping the same God. As a pastor physically, because I cannot tell someone that they were not saved before. Not be me, they say people. Do you understand that? What I will tell the person is that the person has gone back, has apostatized. Do you understand what I'm saying? But at the end of time, what we're going to say is that the person was never amongst us. Because if the person was amongst us from the beginning, the person would not have gone back. Did you hear what I just said now? The difference is that those that are truly saved will confirm that they are saved. It will show. All these things that people are saying, I'm justified. I can live anyhow. I can live anyhow. I'm still saved. My, my present future sins have been forgiven. So I can live anyhow. That is the sign that you are not saved. Because those that are truly saved want to live for God. The laws of God are on their hearts. So there is no middle ground. There is no, I am righteous, but I'm enjoying sin. There is no perseverance of lawless people. It's the perseverance of the sins. So, we are kept by the power of God, but we are not kept in lawlessness. We are kept in righteousness. So physically, that's what happened. Look at the way God Jesus spoke about um, Judas Iscariot. He used the tool for him. You say he's the son of perdition. He has betrayed me. And in another place, he said he was never, he was from the beginning of the earth. He was not, it's the same way we say it. The two are correct. We will say the person has turned back from God. And at the same time, like John, we will say the person was never amongst us. The only way we are going to know those that are truly God's children is that they will live like God's children. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus has started a work in you by giving you a regenerate heart. You must continue. You must continue. You must continue. When you do something wrong, you go to a funny website and your heart is troubled that, God, I shouldn't be doing this. Yes! Yes! Because you're a child of God. You don't give up. 
You don't stop. You continue testing and pursuing for righteousness. You will be filled. This is the consolation. That if you are pursuing it and you are saying, God, give me grace, the Lord will give you grace. I don't care what that addiction is. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care how that besetting sin is. Except God is lying. Except God is lying. If God is not lying, then it means that you will be filled. The righteousness that you require to overcome that besetting sin, God will supply it. Church, I get what I'm saying to you. These are the manifestations of son that hungers and thirsts after righteousness. The man that hungers and thirsts after righteousness is a contrite and penitent heart. Is a contrite and penitent heart. That is the reason why in Christianity, in apostolic Christianity, Christians, when they fall, they ask for the forgiveness of their sins. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 6. Pray like this. Say, God, forgive me my trespasses and forgive those. In Acts chapter 8, the Bible tells us that Simon the sorcerer, that even Simon the sorcerer believed and he confessed the gospel. In a few verses after, Simon did a sinful thing. Do you know what Peter said? Peter said, your money will perish with you. He said, you better pray that God should forgive you. Someone will say Peter was in his infantile stage. That he didn't know God very well. Peter said a believer should pray that God should forgive him. In case God will forgive you. Do you hear that? In James chapter 5, he said, okay, Peter was growing spiritually. She beat James to write the letter at the end of his life. The Lord's younger brother. James too is infantile. James chapter 5, he said, see, is any one of you afflicted? Is any of you in problem? Call the elders of the church. If he has committed a sin, the sin will be forgiven after they pray. Not that it has been forgiven. It will be forgiven. So when First John, when John now comes in First John and says, if any of you says that you are without sin, you are lying and you are calling God a liar. Go to God. Confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you. He now says, children, I'm writing this thing to you so that you will not sin. But if you sin, you have a Advocate to the Father, Jesus, our appropriation for not for our sins alone, but for the sins of the whole world. Telling you something. I'm writing you this thing so that you will not sin. But if you sin, don't say, I have not done anything wrong. Don't say, This is not me. Don't say, I'm, I'm better than this. That's not prayer. What Jesus and the apostles tell us is to say, Lord, forgive me. This is the greatest irony of it. The greatest irony is that these open things that are, that are accusing Calvinists Calvinist of being fatalists, because you know Calvinists can sound like fatalists sometimes, and you know this sound like fatalism. You be accusing them of fatalists, fatalism. But in your doctrine of sin, you are a fatalist. They say don't ask for forgiveness. Why? Because your present, your past, present, and future sins have been forgiven. That means that in your future, there's a fixed number of sins that you are doomed to commit. <laughs> you hear that rubbish? Did you hear that? He said, God has forgiven your past, present, and future sins. That means the, your future sins, they, they are not Calvinists, but when it comes to sin, they are Calvinists. Because your future sins, that sin you must commit it to. So because you must commit it, Jesus has forgiven you already. So that's why when it happens, don't say, God, forgive me. Because Jesus think you listen to me. The way the Bible teaches it is that your future sins, you are not doomed to commit sin. That's why it says, if... Do you understand that? If you commit a sin, treat it as if this sin could not, may, may not have existed. Do you understand that? Treat it as if it is new. And the reason why you treat it as if it is new is because you have the forgiveness of sins. So the confidence that you know that God will forgive you is because you have the forgiveness of sins. Don't cover your sins. This is what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you do something wrong, go to God and say, Lord, forgive me and cleanse me. Go. Don't pray it as if God will not forgive you. He, you have the forgiveness of sins. That means he will forgive. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Listen to me. Brothers and sisters, live for God. Don't live to avoid consequences. Did you hear what I just said now? Please, guys, allow me to just say this. Live for God. Don't live to avoid consequences. There's something very interesting that um, Paul says in 1 Timothy, I think it's 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 24 to 25. Very interesting. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 24 to 25. He says there are some people's sins. The consequences of their sin runs ahead of them to judgment. Some people, the consequences of their sins trail after them. Do you know what that means? What that means is that when, when people are doing evil, when people are doing evil, some people, the evil they are doing, they will see the consequences immediately. Some people, they will not see the consequences at all. Listen to me. If you are living your life to avoid consequences, you are not hungry and thirsting for righteousness. True righteousness, true hunger and thirst for righteousness is hunger to please God, not to avoid some consequences. If you live your life based on how you are seeing consequences, you will go to hell. Do you know why? Because God is merciful and being the wise judge of all the earth who knows all things, he's the only one that does certain things. That's why there are certain people that they don't see the consequences of their sin immediately. If you are using the appearance of the consequences of your sin to know you you are meant to stop, what if God deliberately, because God can do it for many reasons, God can allow the consequences of your sin not to show because he's giving you time to repent. Sure you know. You know. There are some people that are doing evil. God is not allowing them to see the consequences. So they are going. Because God is giving them time to repent. There are some people. God is allowing them because God has left them. So they are going into judgment. God has left them. You see that kind of person now. The person will be deceived to think that because there are no consequences, maybe God is not angry. Or maybe what I'm doing is not really evil. That's the kind of life we are living in now. Because there is oral contraceptive. People are living sinful lives because like back, unlike back in the day, the consequences for sexual sin was very obvious. Now there's medical, um, what they call it, this, um, treatment. If you get an STD, there's treatment for it. If the person gets pregnant, you can kill the child. You can run away from the consequences. You think you are safe. Listen to me. You are not safe. Whoever the person is, you are not safe. If you are living your life based on the way the consequences are manifesting, you are not safe. Because you best believe the just judge of all the earth will give everybody according to what they deserve. If the consequences, if you're like the second group of people, you see someone that was his friend in school, the person was living anyhow, the person entered trouble. But you are living anyhow, what is happening to you? You don't know some people, their consequences is trailing behind them. They think they're okay, don't worry, to catch up. Why do we keep ourselves sexually pure? We're not keeping ourselves sexually pure because ah, I don't want to break my wife's heart. That's not the reason. I don't, that's not the reason. I'm keeping myself sexually pure so that Pastor Sam will not say, will not excommunicate me. Because that's the real thing, you understand that? You read what we said now. Hey, don't, don't, do not associate with anybody that's sexually immoral. You understand what I'm saying? Hey. Say, because I don't want to be excommunicated. The real reason why we keep ourselves sexually pure. First, first Corinthians chapter 6 is because our body is for God. Some people said food for the belly, belly for the food, both to be destroyed. Say it's just this body. Sin is in the body, it's not in my spirit. 
your body is for God. So the reason, if your righteousness is not towards God, if your righteousness is towards avoiding consequences, when those consequences are not manifest, you will keep, that is part of the reason. Listen to me, you need to renew your mind. I sense this so much, I perceive it this morning. Listen to me, this might be the word that you need to deliver you. Your besetting sin has a true hold on you because in your mind, your frame of reference for that besetting sin is consequences. You need to renew your mind so that you can live for God and offer your body as sacrifice. The reason why you should not do that thing is not because you are trying to avoid some consequences. The reason why you should not do that thing is because the Lord God, your Holy Father, is displeased with it. It is not good for you. It is evil. Even though you are not seeing the consequences. The fact that he's keeping the consequences away for a while does not mean that what you are doing is okay. Renew your mind. If you can renew your mind of this, you'll be delivered. I don't know who that person is, but just take that word. The reason why that thing has a chokehold on you is because in your imagination, when you ask yourself, why should I not do this? The only things that come to your mind are the consequences. It needs to stop. As long as you are thinking like that, it will not stop. Righteousness is to please God. Romans chapter 8 tells us, the heart that is governed by the Spirit wants to please God, not that it wants to avoid consequences. It wants to what? If you pray, if you hunger and tell the Lord, Lord, help me, I want to please you. It is you I want to please. The Lord will deliver you. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept all your offerings. May he give you the desires of your heart. May he cause all your plans to succeed. We pray that you will shout for joy in victory and you will lift up banners in the name of the Lord our God. Some may trust in chariots and some may trust in horses. But we, the children of God, we, the members of TAC, we will put our trust in the name of the Lord our God alone. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.